0: Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, ScriptsAndScribes.com. But first, we have on the show a TV writer-producer whose credits include Revolution, Terra Nova, and Law & Order SVU. He's a graduate of Brown University, where he studied playwriting, and his work has been performed by numerous theater companies in New York, Rhode Island, and Los Angeles. Currently, he is a writer and co-executive producer on the new CBS series *Scorpion*, which premieres September twenty-second. I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Paul Grello. Thanks for coming on the show, Paul.
1: Thanks for having me, Kevin. Appreciate it.
0: First off, we'd like to get to know our guests a little. And I know you studied playwriting at Brown, and you've had your work performed and workshop all over the country. How does that, in terms of your studying playwriting and writing television, uh, how does it uh, help? your TV writing as far as being a playwright? Cause I have uh, a tremendous amount of respect for playwrights and what do you find is sort of the biggest difference in the two mediums is?
1: Well, I was lucky to land on my first TV job uh, at law and order SVU. The whole law and order family of shows was mm-hmm. very playwright friendly. And there were a lot of playwrights who kind of uh, got their, uh, got their entree into television through, through that. And, uh, and I was one of them and, and, What was helpful for me about going there and telling those kind of stories was that it was a contained uh, procedural where every week we were going to go into a separate world and get to know some new people. We were going to solve a crime. And in terms of the kind of plays that I was writing, I was writing character-based naturalistic plays with plot twists. And they just seemed to sync up well. So I was able to apply some of the things that I was working on in my playwriting, to my to my scripts over at Law and Order SVU. I would say that the biggest difference I noticed off the bat, and this was something I noticed just from watching television even before I worked there, was that the scenes were shorter, and economy was more important. And with the cameras being so close, often to uh, actors who were so expressive and talented. Certainly, we had some incredible cast members on SVU. They could say a lot uh, when they were saying a lot less. So, Whereas in theater, we'd have longer scenes, monologues. Uh, with the kind of television I started out writing, we didn't have as much of that.
0: And you said there were a number of other playwrights on SVU, but specifically about you, how did you get your first TV writing job?
1: Well, I had a play in New York in the summer of 2005, a play that I wrote called Manuscript. And the uh, man who was running SVU at the time, uh, Neil Baer, he came to see the play. And I heard from my agent that he had enjoyed the play and wanted to meet, so we met for lunch in New York, and we had a great time. Neil's an amazing guy, and he offered me a freelance script for the show. So... Wow. What happened was I, I flew out to Los Angeles to meet the staff and um, start to break a story for this freelance episode. And I was out there for about two, two and a half weeks. The episode started coming together. I loved all the people I met out there. And This was around season seven of SVU. Neil was running a tight ship, a hit show, and he offered me a staff writer job. So what happened next was... I went back to New York and wrote that first episode from there and I was sort of getting ready, ready to pack up my life and, and move out to Los Angeles and when the episode started shooting, I, uh, that's, when I, that's when I made the move and I, I moved to Los Angeles.
0: Now, what sort of training did you have in television writing before writing your first episode or is it sort of on the job training for you?
1: I would say it was mostly on-the-job training. I I had written a couple of television scripts before, and I I wanted to get into television, but the truth is I didn't really know how, and I wouldn't say that I was pursuing it in the most time-honored and logical way. (laughs) I was living living in Providence. I I went to school in Providence, and then I I ended up staying there for, for quite a number of years after graduation, and I was just working jobs and writing there. And I was writing plays, and I got a couple of feature jobs um, off of that play manuscript being a writing sample. But when it came to television, I, I wrote a pilot, or you know, during school I wrote a soprano spec, but I wasn't actively pursuing that as a way in. For me, uh, writing, writing plays and, and, and trying to write movies, I figured I had a better handle on that for whatever reason. I'm not sure how much of a good handle I had on it, but I figured at the time I had a a much better handle on that and that the television writing would come perhaps when I had um, gotten good or good enough at one of the other two areas.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, do you find writing television easier, not that it's easy, obviously, but easier or more difficult because you work in a more collaborative environment versus playwriting where obviously you're sort of working on your own? as well as TV having sort of that structure, because you have to fit it within the the time constraints and set constraints, obviously, financially.
1: Well, I mean, they present different challenges, but, I mean, certainly different rewards. Working in television is what I came to love, and in a lot of ways, love the most, because of the collaborative environment and the staff and working with a bunch of people who are smarter than you, and, and they push you to kind of you know be your best and and bring your A game and a whole bunch of other clichés like it's it's great and it became my favorite thing so i now i I love writing plays i'll write another one at some point but um but it was it's sort of like you know you go through you go through careers or phases in your life and you find things ultimately that are or are not a good fit for you and i have plenty of friends who are feature writers and the whole TV model and checking into the office and sitting in a room with people that doesn't work for them. Mm -hmm. In fact, you know, they don't, they don't find it appealing at all and that's fine. That's, you know, that's their thing. But, but for me, those are precisely the things that, uh, that, that make it an attractive, uh, attractive job.
0: Right. Right. Now I want to talk quickly, if we could, you would mention that you would jumped into law and order SVU on season seven. And I know you've also worked on uh, Revolution uh, and Terra Nova and your new series, Scorpion, sort of from the very beginning. Can you talk about what it's sort of like stepping into a series that's already well-established, it's already a hit show, versus stepping into a series from the ground level in terms of developing a show versus sort of contributing to a show, what your thought process is, what the workflow is
1: like? Well, I mean, i got to say that, To to, I felt very lucky and uh, and and I I was no question to have my first gig be at a place like SVU, which by season seven under Neil's leadership was such a a well-oiled machine. It was just Mm -hmm. like it was it was moving smoothly. It was doing well. So I had episodes from past seasons that I could look at as models. I had you know I work in an environment where the show at least none that filtered down to me the show wasn't met with a lot of interference and notes it was it was what it was so I, I knew what I was doing I felt very lucky I mean I knew what I was meant to be doing when I was there you know mm-hmm. so I, I felt lucky that that was my first thing now that's worlds away from what it's like or at least my experience of what it's been like to work on a first season show not to mention a mythology heavy science fiction show sure that is just getting out of the gate and, you know, there are a lot of voices involved and what that show is meant to be and all of this stuff is happening, you know, before it airs and before you see how the public is responding to it. So it's, it's just night, night and day. Mm -hmm. I liked uh, both experiences and certainly we're having the same experience on Scorpion now. Uh, You know, I, I like being a part of the group that's building something from the ground up. And, you know, you really get to make your voice heard and hear other voices uh, that are important and influential about um, what it's like to define a world and define the world's terms. Um, that's that's one thing I like about going on first year shows. It comes with, it can come with challenges and late nights and maybe a few weekends, but uh, you get the right mix of people and the right material and you really feel like, I don't know, like you're building something special from scratch.
0: Right. Um, And and talking about writer's rooms, I always like to sort of ask, can you talk a little bit about sort of the chemistry in a writer's room, the personalities involved, and really what makes a great writer's room work?
1: Well, let's see. I mean, liking each other, respecting each other. I mean, like respect going around the table, I think is a a pretty great place to start. Um, A willingness to push each other and be pushed. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you're, I think you're well suited to it if you're good with the idea that a challenge to your idea is not a challenge to you as a person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you want to, I don't know. You want to test. You want to. You want to. You want to be tested. You want to test things out. And and I don't know. You want to play ball with people who are going to make you play your best. Right. So I don't know. I I b- believe like it's it's only a healthy atmosphere if it's like the best idea wins. And, I, you know, I know a lot of the people that I've worked with in the past feel, as I do, that there's not really an inherent value differential between, like, the voice of a staff writer and the voice of a, a co-EP. Every voice counts. Mm-hmm. And if everybody is working towards the same clearly defined goal in the room, then, then you're good, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Now, let's, if we could talk a little bit about Scorpion. I'm not sure what you're allowed to talk about. Obviously, the series hasn't aired yet. But from, just from what I've gleaned, it seems to be about uh, a group of sort of socially deficient super geniuses who are hired by the government to solve disastrous problems when no one else can. And I originally saw, I think, a 30 or 60 second trail and it looked interesting. Um, but as we were talking about before, uh, I then saw recently a three or four minute clip of different scenes and sort of a new promo and the more i see the more i'm interested in it the more i like the characters and the more i want to to watch the show but maybe you can just talk a little bit about the show uh and what audiences can expect
1: well that i mean first off thanks man. i'm glad you're, you're doing yeah. what you've been seeing uh the, sh- the show's really fun it's, it's just incredibly fun to work on they're, they're fun stories to break You are correct, 100% in your assessment of a team. (laughs) What did you say? Socially deficient geniuses who help the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's pretty much it. That is like CBS promo department. They would be very pleased with that with that (laughs) assessment. Um, But that's. I mean, that's what it is, and that's what people can expect. You got a bunch of people with brains that are not like mine, and not like yours, not like anybody average. Like we're just regular people, but these are just not regular people in any way, and. What's really fun about it is the fact that they speak their own language. They're not good at speaking our language. They speak their own thing, and they have sets of abilities to solve problems that are um, they are special, and sometimes they're funny, and sometimes they present their own host of challenges. But it's, a, it's like the alchemy of the team is that when you put all of these uh, misfits together... Um, they can, they can do things that your average bunch of cops or your average bunch of you know, FBI agents can't do. It's just that they need a little bit of translating and help interacting with our world. Now, for me, I don't know about, I don't know about you. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just meeting on the phone. I don't know how old you are, but when I was a kid, I remember watching Misfits of Science on mm-hmm. TV. And so the fact that there's even a strain or an echo of the television classic Misfits of Science in this show... Um, you know, uh, it makes me very happy. Because this isn't, I've spent the last two shows on, on science fiction shows, and this is one where, like, the, the science is fact. Like, we, you know, it isn't a it isn't genre. The stuff that's cutting edge in this show is all real. Like, it's all based in reality. And stuff gets crazy, but it's all, like, technologically right around the corner.
0: Right. Well, I, I saw in that longer promo that it's sort of based on a real life. Genius Walter O'Brien, right, and and even the first story in the pilot is sort of based in reality, isn't that correct? Or the Air, the LAX airline thing.
1: Walter is a real guy. Scorpion's a real company, and yeah. this is uh, this is their version. I mean, you know, the staff. I mean, we're all coming on after the, the pilot's been shot and all, all that stuff. But sure. kind of when they were building the series, you know, one of the it's it's like the television fantasy version of like an origin story so it isn't scorpion the company as it, is six, as it exists now right uh, you know you can tell from the promo it's like scorpion when they can't keep the lights on right <laughs> and you know it's, it, it's it's fun to go it's fun to go that far back in the origin story of a dude who's as impressive as the real walter is
0: right and i think superhero is probably a good way to look at it because superheroes solve problems it seems like so many shows i've seen fairly recently are about uh, geniuses who solve crimes but that's not necessarily all that Scorpion seems to do. It seems like they solve problems before they become disasters but it could be again like in the pilot I saw it seems like they're trying to solve this computer problem before all these planes crash at LAX so uh, it's not necessarily a crime per se although I don't know obviously a, your your different subplots you have winding through it but it seems to be a little bit more than that so it opens up a lot of different opportunities, I think uh, rather than I the think, crime I mean, of the week, so to speak.
1: Right. I think I, I think you're right about that. And I think what makes it special is that Scorpion uh, is a versatile team. Mm-hmm. So the engine of the show and what I thought was cool about the pilot is that there's a lot of different things that, right. that this team can do. Right.
0: Now, talking about writing for characters who are smarter than you, I guess the character Walter O'Brien character in the pilot says he has an IQ of 195 and Einstein had 160 or something like that. How do you write for characters who are smarter than
1: you? Um, Two answers: Uh, one, research, and two, we get to talk to the real Walter. Like he he reads our stuff. He comes to like be with us in the writers' room, and you know we get to bounce stuff off him and say, um, you know, does this set off your bullshit detector? Like, (laughs) how do we make this good? How do we make this real? How do we, you know, how do we make this? The, the best version, and, you know, we, we ask him about a lot of things because the one thing we don't want to do is, you know, lapse into true fantasy where Walter or any of the geniuses who either work for Scorpion or are just out there in the world would look at this and, and, and call BS on it. So when you combine research with, like, the fact that the actual people who work at Scorpion are a resource for us, we'd like to think we have the bases covered. We, I mean, we are not, I mean, left lef to our own devices, <laughs> you know, not geniuses, not <laughs> geniuses. It's just like throwing chewing gum around the writer's room, you know, no, no good. No good comes of that. <laughs> um,
0: what is an average day in the Scorpion writer's room like?
1: Well, I mean, at this point in the season, an average day in the writer's room, we've got uh, – you know, one writer off on script and another writer on set supervising their episodes. So there are about, I don't know, four or five of us left in there. And then we have our two uh, we have our our two showrunners, Nick Santora and Nick Wooten, and they you know, divide their time between dealing with showrunner duties and, and the things that call them away and being in the room with us. And so right now we're in the in the process of breaking a new episode which is, you know, figuring out the world where this episode is going to take place, how it's going to, how it's going to focus on the main uh, members of our scorpion team. And when the episode is in its earliest phases, you know, some people call it blue skying and others have other terms for it, but we're just trying to challenge the team as much as we can while still having fun. So we usually start around 10 o'clock and we have, uh, we have lunch together when it's time for lunch. And um, we spend the morning and we spend the afternoon, honestly, working our way through the story and sort of, like I said earlier, just pushing each other to come up with the best thing, beat that idea with a good idea and, uh, and, and, just build it from there.
0: Mm-hmm. How many episodes is Scorpion's first season?
1: Well, the order for 13? 13 is what we're working on now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if, if we do well, they'll, um, you know, yeah. knock on wood, there'll be another nine.
0: Right, I'm assuming SVU was 22 or 24 episodes. Are the size of the writing staffs have you found that to be different in terms of your approach? Because I'm assuming that back, especially SVU season seven, the staffs were bigger back then than they are nowadays. Um, yeah, mis- before. I'm sorry, Before the
1: strike. I mean, yeah. My, my, last se- my last season was the one right before the strike, so oh. I think there were seven. There were like 17 or 18 episodes um, oh. that season. I don't. I don't remember, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, since, since then, at least for a first year, the first year show that I've been on, there have usually been six or seven writers plus the one or two showrunners who were in charge of it. Whereas I believe when I was last on SVU, I think we might have had 10 writers plus Neil. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a while, but, but I think it was about that.
0: So when you have a larger writing staff in terms of more voices in the room, do you think that that is easier or more difficult sometimes or does it totally depend on the showrunner who's actually running the room? I've heard some showrunners don't really participate as much in the writer's room as others. But from your take, is it, is it easier, generally speaking, to have more writers in a room? Or is it, you know, like a, there's a certain number, like four or five is perfect number, and then more than that, it just becomes a cacophony of voices?
1: It's, it's, it's interesting because I... We didn't have a, a, a writer's room at SVU. There was not a, a, a place we all went and gathered. Oh. We worked in well, no, we worked in our offices, we worked in, in small groups, and then you know we would pitch things to Neil, but you were sort of supervised by a senior writer, and, and there was no one place where those 10 people sat every day. Mm-hmm. So when I you know, a couple years later, when I went to Nova, like I said, I think there were six or seven of us, and that was a play, and all the shows I've worked on, by the way, are shows where all the writers' room based shows I should say are shows where the um, the showrunners are definitely involved in there mm-hmm. but i I've, I've actually never really worked on a show in the past three shows I've been on where the staff was bigger than i mean seven maybe i mean maybe eight but i I've heard that there are dramas that have eleven twelve people on the staff, and I would be very curious to know uh, what what that was like. My assumption would be that you would do a version of what we used to do back at Revolution, which is break up into smaller rooms. Sometimes right. three or four people, and you're trying to i mean, really divide and conquer because you're constantly... I mean, look, you're making a lot of episodes. You're constantly up against it, and the further you can get out ahead of whatever the next episode or document is right. do, the further you can get out ahead of that, the better you're positioning yourself. So if I, if I was on a big staff show, my guess is that, that's what they would do.
0: Right. Now talking about Scorpion, your co-executive producer on it, mm-hmm. if it's an episode that your your episode goes into production, right. what is your level of involvement with that specific episode in terms of you know supervising production, post production, and all that? How do your duties shift from writing to producing when your episode goes into production?
1: Well, this is I mean these are guys um, Santora and Wooten are guys who are like really firmly believe in in kind of empowering us as writer-producers to get our hands dirty and go down there and be a part of prep and, and be on set every day. And I love that. I think, that's, I think that's great. So, you know, when you're prepping, you're going on all the location scouts trying to decide what the best place to, you know, shoot this scene is and how will it fit in with the rest of the schedule. And if one location is particularly great, do you need to rework the scene to fit it better? I mean, so you're just down there working with the crew uh, to ensure the production goes as smoothly as, um, as it can. And obviously there are meetings, whether it's a, a production meeting or uh, a tone meeting, sort of where you know, we walk the director page by page, scene by scene through the script, talking about this is, the, this is the thing we can't miss in this scene. You know, this is where this character's at because you know, they're, just, they're coming in on a first-year show like this to direct a brand new show that we've been working on since April, but they're going to be with us for four weeks. So prep is really the time that everybody gets on the same page. And, you know, at least at Scorpion, the writer producers are very involved in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just finished working on mine. So I'm, I'm, ba- I'm back in the, in the writer's room now after, um, after a few weeks of being, uh, you know, on set and in production.
0: Uh, and do you guys, sh- was your episode shot in Los
1: Angeles? We should hear, yeah. We're based oh. down in Manhattan Beach.
0: Oh, wow. Very cool. Is that where So your writer's room and your sets are on the same? Uh,
1: Actually, room. no, the writers are in Burbank.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. The writers are in Burbank. It's just production that's down
0: there. Oh, gotcha. So let's see. I was going to ask you, um, in terms of the hierarchy on uh, writer's room staff, at what point in the hierarchy do you go really from more writing other you know, ideas and, and, and sort of piecing it together based on the ideas thrown in a room and being supervised to sort of supervising other writers in in that writer's room? Or is it basically every writer uh, or every position, meaning supervises the people below them directly? Or does, again, does it depend on the staff?
1: I think it depends on the staff. And I think uh, I think it depends on how the showrunner kind of runs that particular ship. I mean, I, I, I bet you could ask eight, eight people and get eight different answers for how that happened. But I, I personally I didn't really start doing supervisory work with younger writers um, on, on their scripts until, until I was at Revolution. Okay. So I, I, it could have been a coincidence. It could have been because the word ended up in my title, but I, I didn't really end up doing it until there.
0: And you started as a supervising producer on Revolution, correct?
1: Right. Okay.
0: So you were supervising. There you go. Um, (laughs) Right. So it was perfect. What sort of advice would you have, uh, having been a new staff writer on a show, as well as being, obviously, uh, co-EP now, what advice would you give to new staff writers in terms of sort of feeling out their place in the writer's room, not necessarily saying too much, not necessarily saying too little? Again, every writer's room, I'm sure has the way that they're run and and, and I've heard that some writers' rooms are very encouraging of uh, staff writers to contribute, and some would mm-hmm. rather have them in the background. but just in general, what sort of advice would you give to a new staff writer sort of feeling out their place?
1: Well, I guess the thing I would focus on, people do people do talk about like you know knowing when to speak, knowing when not to speak and and I think that's fine, but, but it's, a, it's a little like I said before like uh, the places i've worked i've, I've feel lucky that it was really it was a place where all the voices in the room regardless of title were valued and 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 I like that but so you know in, instead of focusing on that because I think there's a lot of good advice out there mm-hmm. like uh, on that subject I guess I would say that it's it's just it's most important to know like what like what the show is and to help make that you know like instead of early on being hyper critical of things I think it's just very important for people especially on first year shows that are finding their identities to you know be on board with building the thing that the showrunners and all interested parties have decided that they're going to build I mean the senior person right I mean the senior writer in the room is going to be I mean basically the foreman of the job Mm -hmm. but everyone in there is responsible for building the same house and and you know, off those blueprints, and it just—I mean, it kind of sucks when someone shows up with a different set of blueprints and really won't let them go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'll—I'll I'll, I'll give up on that metaphor here before it runs out of any more steam. I didn't <laughs> already run out of steam by the time by the time I got to the end of it, but but uh, I don't know. Hopefully, it made some sense.
0: No, <laughs> um, and I like your disclaimer at the end too. That was. <laughs> um, just on a side note, I always like to ask writers, uh, where is the first screenplay you ever wrote, and what is it about?
1: Oh, my God. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know. It's, maybe it's in a drawer or a folder. Um, I wrote it in college. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about? It's like a mashup of, <laughs> of like Back to the Future and Some Kind of Wonderful. Um, it's wow. it's uh, it was yeah, it was like basically some guy still pining for his high school crush. He he ends up going back to high school through a series of I mean, let's be honest, entirely believable time travel. <laughs> right. um, and where when he gets there he realizes he's been fixated on the wrong girl the whole time and it was his friend it's sort of like the Mary Stuart Masterson story, you know, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm some kind of wonderful or like, I don't know, you know, it's the arc. It, it's really Booth from Teen Wolf is really what it is. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> that is, that is somewhere in a drawer being bad in the dark, in a dark and dusty drawer. It's just somewhere just chilling there, just being bad. Just sitting there, stinking thinking up the desk drawer. I got gotcha. Well We all have that. Yeah, option. but it has, yeah. Well, I mean, I got a few of them, but yeah, that, I mean, since you asked about the first one, I figured why not be honest. I mean, and I, and I wrote that at some point in college.
0: No, that's great. That's great. And again, part of the reason I ask is so many writers think that the, the first thing that they ever write is going to sell, going to make them that money. That's that's the one, and almost without fail, that it's it that's so not. You're going to get so much better, and you're going to look back on the first screenplay you ever wrote and go, "This is really not very good." Um,
1: yeah, I mean, without without que- without question, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I I just I don't know. I don't I don't have any buddies in my life who are writers who have that like fairy tale story. Like I, I know they're out there, they get written about, and I think they help perpetuate that myth, but right. um if you're if you're if your awesome website and podcasts serve no other purpose on Earth, dispelling that myth would be a great a great thing.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, and and I do promote that as much as possible.
1: No, I, was, I was just gonna say it's like it's it, people always people always think that, but you, you know, a common, a common thing that comes up in writers' rooms is just let the idea suck for a while. Let it suck for a while, right? An idea will, a pitch will, a first draft will, and so will early screenplays. Or mm-hmm. plays for that matter.
0: Right. Yeah, no, and even the, the legendary stories you hear about the person who wrote their first screenplay and it sold uh, and they became whatever famous screenwriter, TV writer, producer, whatever, invariably, a majority of those also, it's not really their first screenplay. Uh, a lot of mm-hmm. them were writers of other genres. Like, for example, if your first screenplay sold, well, you were also a playwright, a longtime player, you know, so it's not necessarily the first thing I ever wrote is now being made into an Oscar-winning feature. I mean, it, it, that sort of thing rarely, rarely, rarely happens. It's, you know, again, the the 10-year overnight success story where You've written a bunch of things, but this is the first one you really kind of sent out there, and that became the big thing. Or again, you write, you became successful in other genres. Um, like I said yeah. to Albert Kim, who uh, was a successful magazine editor and writer, and yourself was a su- successful playwright. So people who have done other things stepping in, even if you had written your first screenplay and it was successful, well, there's also a backstory there that people don't necessarily see. Um, yeah.
1: that That's the other thing is that there's always, there's always a backstory. Albert's, Albert's cool. I've met him a couple of times. He, yeah. he's on uh sleepy hollow now.
0: Correct. Yeah. 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 No, he's great. Yeah. Um, he's
1: a, cool, he's a cool guy. Yeah. I mean, there's just always a backstory. And I think, I, I think I personally, like <clears throat> I, I never really bought into that or at least I didn't spend too much time buying into that overnight first sale success myth because I I used to be really into this screenwriting magazine called Fade In. Like I used to I used to read it in the 90s, mm-hmm. and it, it was this thing. I don't I don't, I don't think they still publish it. I don't really know. But like I was reading it in college, and it was just this magazine where it just really romanced, but was honest about as well the screenwriter's life. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was like, and this was 96 and 97, so it's like. Billy Bob Thornton's on the cover or Darabont or whatever, you know? And it's like there were articles in there and interviews with screenwriters that, and this was an important time. This was, I was like starting out college and writing my first scripts. And I remember these interviews that I read were really important in contextualizing for me how long my heroes had been toiling away. Mm Mm-hmm. And even if they weren't toiling away in Hollywood writing scripts, they were doing something else, some other kind of writing and just general the ways of living and being. And it helped dispel me of the notion that something was going to happen overnight because it, it, you know, 99 times out of 100, it didn't for them and it didn't for me. And that's frankly, as far as I'm concerned, as it should be.
0: Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You just mentioned uh, reading Fade in Magazine, reading about some of your heroes. Who are some of your writing heroes, so to speak, screenwriters, TV writers, producers? Um, who are some of those writers you grew up looking up to from the Faden magazine articles and, and, and whatnot?
1: Well, I mean, I mean, I already named one of them. I mean, mm-hmm. Billy Bob Thornton. I was just a big, I was just a big fan of Sling Blade. I just thought it was Brilliant. so great. Like I still, I, I still remember the like the night we saw it in Providence and. Anyway, I, just, I thought that was a great script and I really loved it, and you know i was in I was in high school when usual suspects came out, so that was a fun, like way flashier kind of screenwriting right. but i I was also just really into Woody Allen screenplays and Quentin Tarantino screenplays and Spike Lee screenplays and that's I mean those are the kind of things I read to get inspiration and um, and, and they were the people I admired on the on the movie side. And when it comes to TV, you know, I – there were two things I watched in high school, basically. I mean, I I, I did a lot of homework. Like, I had to get – I had to, like, do a lot of homework to make it where I went to college. <laughs> like, I did not naturally have the aptitude or the grades for that sort of thing. So uh, there were really only two things that I, like, took a break to watch. And um, Homicide was one of them. Mm-hmm.
0: Great job. And
1: uh, yeah, and ER was the other and I just remember how I didn't watch a ton of TV like during college until Sopranos came on. Mm-hmm. so there were a lot of years when I fell off and I certainly stopped watching ER, but I just remember like how fucking good that show was mm-hmm. like how great it was early on. And it was very cool for me to then go on to work for Neil bear right who played he played such a seminal role in those early seasons like mm-hmm. I got to ask him all these crazy fanboy questions like i wasn 't even shy about it a little like, i wasn 't <laughs> even trying to be cool like I was not even trying to be cool like a little um, so you know those are those are some of the the kinds of t v writing that early on were a big uh, i would say more than more than an influence on me, I would say, just more of an inspiration. And ER and, and, and Homicide, just amazing.
0: No, they're both great shows, legendary shows. Uh, you had mentioned homework, and I know you were talking specifically about college, but I wanted to touch base on homework for TV writers. And and what I mean by that, ah. I, I, I know a lot of TV writers, you, you go into staffing season, and if you aren't well-versed with TV shows, I know, like, I spoke to Ted Sullivan, and he said he had watched, basically going into a meeting on a showrunner meeting on a series if it was an established series you had to have watched every episode of the show if it was more than three seasons then you had to watch the pilot season or you know at least a couple of seasons worth of it to be able to speak about it intelligently if you were asked although you weren't always asked what sort of recommendations do you have in terms of homework for writers going in for showrunner meetings just in general what should you know aspiring tv writers be doing
1: I, I think that's good advice. Um, I think that's good advice. But you know, if you don't happen to have time to watch all you know all, all those episodes and all mm-hmm. those seasons, and I think a healthy sampling is good. I gen- I generally try to familiarize myself with the person or the people I'm meeting with with some of their previous work. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to watch and read a lot of like TV as it is. Uh, so generally, I have some baseline familiarity. But on the off chance that I don't. Um, it can be fun to go back and revisit some older things um, you know from the recent history of the past few years that I might not have watched because I was busy or for whatever reason that they worked on so i 'll do some of that too in addition to researching the the show that um, the show that i 'm going in on now you know if you 're going out on a lot of first year shows you know if you 're going out for pilot, for for staff rather um for shows that are just getting started, then really all you have is those those people's back catalog and right. familiarizing yourself with familiarizing yourself with the script and if you're lucky enough to see a cut before you go in uh, the pilot itself. Mm-hmm. Now taking
0: a showrunner meeting. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've been asked in the past, or some of the things that have gone on in some of these showrunner meetings?
1: Well, you know, um, let's see. They've read. I mean, before you go in there, they read something of yours, sure. right? So they liked it enough to, you know, put you on the list of people they're going to sit down with. So that's good. So you already did one good thing. So uh-huh. be less nervous than you are because it's all, you've already done one good thing. But, you know, when you get in there, it's, it's not, in, in my experience anyway, it's not really a quiz about the pilot. Um, it's really a, a meeting where they try to get a sense of what kind of person you are and how you tell a story and... How you responded to the script? Obviously, they want to know that you liked it, and maybe hear a few ideas about about the show. But I've never been on one. I think they're I think are out there. I've heard about them, but I've I've never been on one that was like a straight pitch meeting, like pitch us, you know, pitch us the first season. Mm-hmm. If you have ideas for if you have ideas for what the characters might do, and some ideas for what makes for a great episode of the show, that's good. Share that. Like I, I think that's a wonderful thing to try to prepare. You definitely don't want to go in underprepared, but it, you also shouldn't feel like you're going in there to defend a thesis.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: They, and again, from my friends who are showrunners, uh, you know what they say is the thing they're most concerned about is putting together a room that is, you know, like a like a like a baseball team. It's it's put together of people who play different positions, who have different skills, who are all going to be you know, building the house off the blueprints as I mentioned before but it should be a diverse room full of people from different backgrounds with different skill sets and people who can get along with each other when the dinner menus are passed around if you're really up against a deadline people who can get along with each other if you have to work a weekend mm-hmm. to get one particular episode rebroken in time and you know uh, it's, it's, it's important to like the people and respect the people if you're going to be spending that kind of that kind of time with them.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to what you were talking about. You have friends who are feature writers who really don't think that they would enjoy working in a writer's room, even though they're super talented writers, I'm sure, as far as being a contributing member of a writer's room just does not appeal to them. Those personalities probably would not do well in that interview.
1: Yes. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's not for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's just not a great a great a great writer and a great team player in a room they often go together, but they don't automatically go together and um and i I think that's one of the things that that showrunners in those meetings are are looking for you know what kind of what ta- what kind of team player are, are you going to be and are you going to be a good contributing member of this uh, you know of this society
0: right absolutely. So we're starting to run short on time, and I don't want to keep you too long. I know uh, I appreciate your time on a Saturday. We've got a quick section called Rapid Fire, which is just some fun, quick questions. So here we go. In honor okay. of your In honor of your new CBS series, which is your favorite song by the rock band Scorpion? Rock you like a hurricane? Send <laughs> me an angel or Wind of Change?
1: Wow, um, good choices all. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. That's three songs that rock fairly hard um but uh, i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with hurricane for sentimental right.
0: reasons excellent uh that would be my choice as well um <laughs> good man good man
1: uh,
0: um now who would play the best doc brown the uh, iconic socially incompetent super genius if they were to ever remake back to the future for some reason golden globe winner paul giamatti breaking Bad's aaron paul or Pee-wee herman himself paul rubens and why
1: Wow! Incredible. Um, have to go. Great question. First of all, mm-hmm. just out of just out of the gate, let me lead with that amazing question. <laughs> Answer is has to be Giamatti because I I mean he has to be hilarious, mm-hmm. but he also has to be believable and fun. As his face is turning red, like blood red, and he is about to blow a gasket because something's about to go wrong. Giamatti is the is the dude I want to see doing
0: that. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh and you could see him saying jump and jiggawatt Yeah. You know, yeah, double that's, damn.
1: That's awesome. Double damn.
0: Yeah. Um that was a great evaluation too. I think that was fantastic. <laughs> uh, um, you took the question far more seriously than I had anticipated, but I appreciate I appreciate
1: it. Um, look, man, back to the future back to the future is serious business. I no, told absolutely. you. My first terrible screenplay was basically just like cribbing act moves from Back to the Future and just putting it somewhere else. So, like, <laughs> you, we've, it's, it's, ba- it's basically the holy text. It's the, it's the Magna Carta of, of screenplays, as far as I'm concerned.
0: That's hysterical. Um, and lastly, since you're also a playwright, if William Shakespeare and Arthur Miller got into a fistfight with Tennessee Williams and Oscar Wilde, who do you think would win?
1: I mean, I have to pick Team Miller because... He, I, I mean, I loved his plays, and I've read like every biography on the guy that I can get my hands on. And he was, you know, just kind of a, kind of a, a a bruiser. Mm-hmm. He wrote, he wrote, he wrote very muscular plays, and I think he could probably knock out a couple of teeth. I'm <laughs> a big, I'm a big Arthur Miller fan, so I would, I would throw down my, I would throw down my my money on Team Miller, nice. Team Miller Shakespeare.
0: Nice. Um, I, I think Oscar Wilde is kind of a badass, so he'd probably give him a run for his money, but yeah, I, I definitely would be sick against Arthur Miller.
1: I'm not saying it would be a short fight. I'm <laughs> saying it would be a knockdown, drag-out, like, bloodbath. Yeah. But at, at the end of it all, you would be standing there at, like, somewhere near, like, the splintered round table at the Algonquin, mm-hmm. and there would just be just, like, Bo- crumpled bodies and just blood on the walls, but I feel like at the end of it, Miller would be helping a limping Shakespeare across the room <laughs> to collect like the pile of cash that was waiting for them with the with the bookmaker
0: nice, nice visual uh, that's impressive um, <laughs> that's great Lastly, do you have any advice for aspiring screenwriters or TV writers, or is there anything else you'd like to share?
1: I mean, I would just say to be writing a lot um, a lot more than I, and, and again, I think I, I made this mistake too. A lot more than you think you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there's a trap of trying to make one thing perfect, mm-hmm. um, as, as opposed to maybe setting it aside for a minute and working on the next thing.
0: Right.
1: And so I would, I wouldn't just say write a lot on one thing. I would say my advice would be to write a lot of different things. And yeah. That would yeah, I be
0: think, it. yeah, I think that goes back to the first screenplay, the one screenplay thing, and uh, that's good advice. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Paul. I appreciate hey, thanks it. Thanks
1: for having me, Kevin. Really fun, really fun, really good questions, man.
0: It was really great, um, and you can follow Paul on Twitter at Ernest Racket. Um, where did that come from, Ernest Racket?
1: Ernest Racket. Well, it's a couple of things. It's kind of a roundabout uh, nod to my grandfather. Oh. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, like I said, it's a couple things. Uh, his His name was Ernest, so I changed that spelling. And then when I was a little kid, uh, we would play tennis together at this court up in the Bronx. And that was one of my favorite memories. And he was the greatest. So I I, like racket, like tennis racket. So Anyway, I changed those two things. And Ernest racket as an idea It's not the worst way to describe Hollywood because we can all just be honest about the fact that it's kind of a con, isn't it?
0: <laughs> um, a shell game? Yeah, sure. The shell game of Hollywood? I got you. Cool. No, that's awesome. I always like to ask when it's not someone's name, you know, where it came from. And you get, you know, interesting answers. a cool.
1: Yeah. Well, there you go. That's, that's the explanation.
0: Awesome. Um, and to our listeners, if you have any questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at com or send us a tweet to scriptscribe. There's no and in the middle there, just scriptscribe. Thanks for listening.